Good afternoon, you all. Welcome. It's great to see you. Thanks for coming out. It's, uh, it's the afternoon already. Uh, we have been doing a bit of a series on miracles. And obviously last week was Worship Fest, which was fab. The week before that was baptisms, which equally fab. And the week before that, Chris talked about uh, the 10 lepers. And the week before that, Laura kicked us off by talking about the healing of Jairus's daughter. So we are going through a season, a series um, to match the season at the moment of seeing God do some incredible miracles. And so therefore we thought, well, let's just look at some of Jesus's miracles. So we've been saying to anyone who's doing the, the, the speaking, look at Jesus's miracles, anyone you like. And the aim is to try and encourage us to see that we could in theory do the same. So I had a load of great miracles. In my, I mean, they're all great, but that, you know, some great ones in my mind. And um, I prayed about it. And this is the one we're doing, uh, which wasn't top of my list, I have to say. But so this is where Jesus calms um, the wind and the waves. Most people, even if they're not like church people, they're not really used to being in church, that kind of thing, then most people will have heard this story at some point. So to help you, I've given you a, a picture. There is no expense spared here. So that is a picture of the Sea of Galilee. And we're just going to read from Mark chapter 4. So Mark was one of the disciples, one of the original disciples who followed Jesus. Uh, and he wrote this down sort of 50, 60 years uh, after all the events happened. So this is what he said. That day, I'll explain that in a minute. When evening came, he said to his disciples, let us go to the other side. Leaving the crowd behind, they took him along just as he was in the boat. There were other boats also with him. A furious squall came up and the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. And the disciples woke him and said to him, Teacher, don't you care that we're about to drown? He got up and rebuked the wind and said to the waves, Quiet, be still. Then the wind died down and it was completely calm. He said to his disciples, Why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? They were terrified and asked each other, who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. I sometimes wonder whether they were more afraid of what Jesus had just done or of the, or of the wind and waves. So it's a fairly well-known story. And in essence, it's pretty straightforward. Jesus gets in a boat. Um, they cross the Sea of Galilee and a, a ferocious sort of wind and waves come up. They nearly drown. Jesus gets up, says, that's enough. That's enough from you. It all stops. They're freaked out. I mean, that's basically my summary of the story in just a few words, okay? But uh, just to give this a little bit of context for you, uh, the Sea of Galilee is uh, quite a, an odd place in that it's 700 feet below sea level. The uh, River Jordan runs out of it um, into the Dead Sea. Uh, so it is 700 feet below sea level, and it's surrounded. It's about eight miles across, about 12 miles high. You can't quite see from that picture, but it's quite curious in that any point you are on, on, on the Sea of Galilee, you can pretty much see every other bit of coast. But the sort of cliffs and mountains around it go up to 1,400 feet above sea level. So it's quite an unusual place. It's basically almost like a sink surrounded by mountains, effectively, very, certainly very large hills anyway. 
So one of the, um, one of the effects of, of the geography of this is that it's only about 200 feet at its deepest point, which really isn't very deep for an expanse of water that big. So it means that the, 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 the sea, the water, gets warm. I mean, not like super warm. It's not like a bath in that, in that sense. But it gets warmer than most bodies of water would get because it's relatively shallow. Coupled with that, that warm air, obviously, is, it then starts to rise. Basic, some basic physics stuff right here. Uh, and then, but with all the uh, mountains around the outside, the cooler air then, if you like, cascades down off, down the sides, and then crashes into the warm air that's rising. So what you end up with is a, a very temperamental climate in that place. So at any moment, genuinely, still, a, the, the, wind, the wind will get up very quickly, the waves will be generated, and it can become quite dangerous. So it's a very genuine thing um, that is being spoken of here. So this is what Jesus was doing. He was sleeping. And I've, I've heard some talks on this in the past, and people have said, oh, why, why do you think Jesus was sleeping? Is there some deep spiritual significance? I can't really find one. As far as I can see, he was probably tired. When, you, when, you, when the passage starts, this, uh, this bit right at the end of Mark 4, it starts with this. That day when evening came. Which day? Well, that day. Oh, okay. Well, let's read back a bit. What's he been doing? Oh. Turns out he's been teaching all day. And what he'd actually been doing is he'd been teaching from a boat so that he could speak to the crowds. So he got in a boat, pushed slightly away from the shore, um, and then he could get more people in his sort of vista and uh, in, in, in the audience in one go. So he'd been basically teaching all day. So I, I can certainly testify as a, as a former teacher that, that that's, quite a that's quite a tiring thing. I think he was just a bit worn out. So evening came and he said to his disciples, let's, um, let's go over to the other side. Some other boats came with them. I love the fact that Mark pointed that out in here. I think if I had had access to a boat and I'd listened to Jesus teach all day, I'd want to follow him too. Even if I could only find a little sort of pedlo thing with a swan's head. I, th I think I'd just, come on, we can do this. Come on. Um, just hope the you know, time isn't up on number 23 when you're like right in the middle. Oh, no way. Um, but anyway, so you, there were other boats with him as well. So Jesus is just a little bit worn out. And he's just having a rest. It says he's actually resting his head on a cushion in the stern. Where's the stern in a boat? Are you sure? You are sure. Brilliant. Thank you. Yes, it is. The stern, is the, the stern definitely is the back of the boat. So he's in the back of the boat, having a kip on a cushion. Now, this squall that came up has got to be pretty significant because four of the 12 disciples were former fishermen. And by fishermen... I don't mean somebody sits on the bank with a fishing rod and a pack of sandwiches and doesn't talk to anyone all day. I mean proper fishermen. I mean the ones that get out there amongst it, in boats, with nets, all that stuff. Yellow sou'westers, all that bit. If they're from Cornwall, they sing as well. <laughs> Those people. So four of them, four fishermen amongst the 12, and they were terrified they were going to die. This was not a little bit of a lapping of the waves when you've been in a boat and you feel it gently doing this. 
If four fishermen were terrified, there was good cause to be pretty terrified. So Jesus was sleeping and they come to him and say, don't you care? We're going to drown. Now, I, I just try and put myself in that position and wonder at which point they started to think someone's going to have to wake him. Someone is going to have to do something here. This is getting worse. No, 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 it's getting worse. But we, can, we can handle this. We're men. We can handle this. And it's getting worse and worse. And in the end, I reckon they all capitulated, caved in at the same time, and all ran and all shook him. Jesus, we're going to die. You're sleeping, you idiot. Come on. Like that. But the beautiful thing was that the you idiot was added in, just in case you were unsure. Um, uh, so the beautiful thing was that as Jesus lay there, he could lie in complete peace because he knew he had the authority that meant he could do something about the wind and the waves. And this really brings us on to our first main point, is that you and I have authority over all the storms that we can manage to sleep in. If we're able to sleep in a storm, then we know our position of authority within that storm that means it doesn't need to be bothering us. So a person who is leaning into God, their father, and we know ourselves as a son or daughter, is way more terrifying to a storm than a storm is to them. Think spiders. You know when you're scared of a spider and someone's trying to encourage you and they say, oh, don't worry, the spider's way more scared of you. Like, we tried telling it. It's right there. It's mocking. It's trying to draw me out. It's the same. Someone who knows their authority with God as a dad and they know their authority as a son or daughter is way more scary to a storm than a storm is to them. Jesus wasn't phased about the storm. That's why he was sleeping. He wasn't trying to make a point. I mean, I am slightly surprised he didn't wake up naturally. I mean, if this boat really is being thrown around, he must have been tired. But nevertheless, they have to come and they have to wake him up. So within a storm, there is a need for us to find that place of peace. That is really stage one before you can move on from there. So five, yes, about five years ago, we, um, Asher Vineyard suddenly was desperately short on money. Obviously, we have a certain amount of money we need each month. And most of that, the vast majority of that is through people's incredible generosity as they give. But we were desperately short. We needed, as I recall, about eight grand a month at that stage. We now need way more than that, uh, more than double that. But um, we needed about eight, nine, somewhere around there. We have four to four and a half. And God and I had a number of conversations in that little period of time. They were not faith-filled conversations, if I'm entirely honest with you. They were more ranty. They had a rant feel to them, I will confess. And the thing was, I had to get to a place of knowing what my authority was in that situation. And that started really with, with a place of peace. I knew that God had called Nick and I to come to Ashford to bear fruit, fruit that will last. I knew that. God had made that expressly clear, confirmed that in so many ways, that that is just about as sure as I could be of anything with God. Because there's always that little, you know, that bit. I knew that. 
but there was not enough money. And that was quite serious. We owed people, you know, there were bills that needed paying and all kinds of issues. And in the end, um, God invited me out for a walk, probably to spare the rest of my family, um, because I wasn't really being a lot of fun to be with, if I'm entirely honest. And as we went out um, for this walk, I felt God do something in me that meant a peace came because I knew my authority in this situation. So what this looked like was this. (laughs) I I knew, I said, I got genuinely to the place of saying to God, do you know what, God, I know you've called us here. And if this goes back to just being a couple of little small groups, then that's okay. It's not okay, but it's like, that's, that's okay. This is, this is, I know my authority in this situation. I know what you've called me to do. I can't always guarantee the outcome of exactly what I'm seeing, but I know that this is my starting point. I need to hook back in with you and know where you are. So in that storm, I started to find some authority of saying, I know what you've called me to do and you would not call me to do something and then handicap me from doing it. If you've called us here to plant Asher Vineyard, you haven't called us here for it to grow and grow and grow, and then boom, gone. It's rare. There are cases, we're not going to go into that. But generally, that is not how, what God would do. So we can have authority over all the storms that we can manage to sleep in, or to switch it round, we can sleep in all storms in which we have learnt that we have the authority in that moment. You know those storms that come out of nowhere? Those ones where the, doctor, the doctor's receptionist rings you back up and says, the doctor's had your test results in and would like to see you. Oh, what does that mean? I'm sorry, I can't tell you. And suddenly, a storm starts coming. Internally, externally, this storm starts coming. And this is what storms have a habit of doing. They expose what's really going on on the inside of us. See, before that Red Sea giving moment, that's what it became known as, before that moment, if someone had said to me, Chris, do you trust God for money? I'd have said, of course I trust God for money. But in that moment where there was nothing like enough, I I was exposed. Because I said I did trust God over money, and then out of nowhere, there isn't enough. And rather than me trusting him, I start a little bit running around like a headless chicken. Clearly just putting my anxiety on display for anyone who I came across. So obviously I didn't trust him because if I did trust him, I'd have had peace. And I'd have known my authority in that situation as a son. And this is what happens. So um, As we sometimes say, it's easy enough to act like a Christian. It's reacting like one. It's easy enough to act like someone who said they're yes to Jesus and is doing their best to live in step with him. Reacting like one is a really different thing. And sometimes things come out of your mouth before you even realize them. Oh, wow. That's just, I've just shown something of what's going on. And then we remember how we're supposed to behave and we tidy it all up and pretend it didn't happen. Don't we? Isn't that what we do? Oh, just me. No, it's just just, just me. Okay, well done. You holy lot. That's amazing. Um, So the other day, um, a couple of days ago, we're having a load of, we still are, we're having a load of building work done at our house. And um, 
it, it's, uh, it's a bit of a nightmare. We don't have a downstairs, really, to speak of at the moment. And our, our bedroom has become the, the lounge um, and the kitchen. So uh, we've got a, like a camping table sort of thing in there with some shelves underneath. We've got the microwave in there. We've got the fridge in there. We've kept the bed. We thought we should, probably, in the bedroom. You know, you do actually have to sleep. Um, and we've been having a few microwave meals, not many. And actually, for the record, I think they've really improved. Microwave meals, are, you can get some really nice microwave meals these days. Anyway, so we had some a couple of nights ago, and Maddie, um, our youngest, she'd had spaghetti bolognese. It's quite partial. She got about two-thirds of the way through it, didn't want any more. Are you sure? Yes, I'm sure. All that thing you do. So she came and put it on this um, camping table thing. And there's about a third of it left. She kindly offered it to me. Uh, no thanks. I was happy with my fish pie, which was just cooking. Um, so, uh, no thank you. So that went on the side. Lucy then went to get herself a drink or something like that. I don't, I'm not actually even quite sure what she did. And in slow motion, she knocked the rest of the spag bowl off the side. It flipped over and landed face down on our cream carpet. Time stood still. As we all, Lucy stared at it. Nick didn't entirely realise what had gone on. I looked like that and just stared. It felt like that went on quite a while. And in the end, I said, well, pick it up then. Because Lucy was just... Oh, I was not going to pick itself up. But then I said this. Well, that stain's not going to come out, is it? Within about five seconds, that stain's not going to come out. Now, I know it's a little bit of a silly example, but the point was, <laughs> bear with, okay? That showed where my faith was in stain removal products. Um, <laughs> in, in, that, in that moment, in that moment, spag bowl, cream carpet, nightmare, that's it. That's it. It's done. We're doomed. I know people have problems in the third world, but they should try spag bol on a carpet. It's never coming out. Um, and that really, there was in that moment, reacting, I just showed really what was going on on the inside. As it happens, I know you're all wondering, thanks to a variety of products, um, we have actually managed to get the stain out. Goodness knows how. We were keeping it wet with wet wipes while Nick ran round to the neighbours to say, what have you got? What have you got that we can... And the Britons, bless them, they're away um, at uh, DTI. We've got a front door key. Nick said, she's always got loads of cleaning products. You keep it wet with wet wipes. I'm going to the Britons' house. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, no, it's really godly in our house. It's wonderful. Uh, so, the point is, storms that come, they really do have a habit of exposing really what's going on inside. It's very easy for us to say we trust God for money when you've got a bank full of it. And it's really quite easy to say you trust God for your health when you're healthy. It's when you're not healthy that we really find out, am I trusting God for my health? Am I trusting doctors for my health? What, who am I trusting for my health? If you've got any sense, you trust both, frankly. But um, here's another thing. The final thing really that we can, um, there's loads we can learn from this, but just this one more thing. Storms are not of God's making. I think sometimes, as people potentially have been following Jesus quite a while, you can get into a, a mindset where difficulties come 
And you hear people say things like, well, I guess it's just my turn. And these things happen. That's a, that's a common one. These things happen. It's just life. I mean, everyone has to get ill at some point, right? I mean, you've got to die of something. Everyone's got to get ill. So it is what it is. And you see, the thing is, the implication in that is, if you're not careful, that the difficulties and whatever that come our way are manufactured by God. But this particular storm, if it were manufactured by God, then how on earth could Jesus have stood up and rebuked it? Because Jesus would have stood up and said, peace, be still, and God would be going, rage. And he would have said, peace, be still, and God goes, rage. And they would have been fighting with each other. So clearly, that storm was not of God's making. God doesn't send storms to make you terrified. Storms do come, but they're not of God's making. There is a lovely moment that I try and work out what's gone on here. So this is a slight digression. Uh, so this, this next few moments is in, is in bracket. And that's this. So scientifically, I've explained to you how those furious squalls come up. So you have the cold air coming down, the warm air from the shallow, uh, shallow body of water coming up. And, and, and that's the that's that tempestuous moment there that creates the atmosphere in which these storms can happen. Now, what I want to know is, at the moment when Jesus said, any teacher word you want to put in that gap for peace, be still, bless you, which I'm sure it may not, it may have lost something in its translation. So teachers have a range of things they say in this moment. Uh, could have been that. Jesus just could have given it a look. Well, he didn't because he did say something. But you could do the teacher stare. That's enough. Who knows? Who knows quite what he said? At that moment, what happened to the warm air and the cold air? Did they just suddenly, because science is there and God is there, did they just suddenly, like they were able to just pass each other and not create an issue? Did the, did the cold air coming off the mountainside just stop and go back up the mountainside? I don't know. I know, I know. Just humor me for a minute. It's in brackets, this bit. What happened in that moment? Something happened. Did all the air just carry, did everything carry on exactly as it was, other than it suddenly stopped having the effect it did? Because what I want to be able to say to you is, I meet so many people, I don't believe in God, I believe in science. That's okay, science is a God too, just a small g, that's the only problem. And the thing is, I love science, and I'm a bit of a science, I love, the, I love that stuff, I love physics particularly. I love the logical progression of how things work. But the thing is, above and beyond science, there is God. And if God needs to turn back time, he can. And I'm not going to sing that song, which I've now got in my head. So, <laughs> who else got that song in their head? I don't know. Yeah, if, you, if I could, I am going to sing, turn back time. Anyway, so if God wants to do that, he will. So the doctors come to you and they say, there is no way that you can be cured of this sickness you've got. There is no way. You have been on a steady decline. We have literally never seen anyone improve. That's what science says, medicine says. They are not doing anything wrong. Medicine can only ever work, and science, within the knowledge base it currently has. But God says, I'm above science. I love science. I created science. 
but I'm above science. And at any moment, these laws, which are laws that become established in science by a repeatable um, action and reaction, and when it happens enough, you say, well, that's now a law. And God says, I can just override those laws at any moment. Jesus walks on water. What about gravity? They just walk on water. Because God's above those laws of science and nature. Close brackets. So, anyway, you can go around and have a little, little, little think about that for um, a while. So, we were watching a program, Nick and I, yesterday. And this is what we have to be careful of. There was a program, I don't know whether anyone saw it, Vicky McClure doing a program about a choir for people suffering with dementia. Anyone see it? Wow, you should find it. It's an excellent program. Um, I will warn you, you'll probably need tissues. It's quite a sad program in so many ways. Um, but anyway, in this program, there's a lady, probably in her early 50s, I'd have said, who was interviewed, uh, one of the choir members, and... She said her mum was with her, who probably mid-70s, I'd have guessed, somewhere around there. And her mum said, was in tears and just said, I, I feel like it should be me that has this, not my daughter. And the daughter said, oh, mum, I've got this for a reason. Now, that is really genuinely admirable, and I am in no sense criticising her. She was the most lovely lady but she's, of course, speaking that within the knowledge base that she has. And I want to be able to say to her, there is no reason you should be having dementia other than there's a thief that comes to steal, kill and destroy. That's the only reason you've got dementia. It doesn't mean you can't campaign and make some use of the fact that right at this precise moment you have that. 850,000 people in the UK suffer with dementia. And I turned to Nick and I said, I've never seen anyone healed of dementia. That's going on my bucket list. I don't want to go from here until I've seen a bunch of people healed from dementia. Well, I've never seen it. So what? Why can't it be possible? He bore our griefs, carried our sicknesses, took them to the cross, except dementia. Do you think God bows the knee at dementia? It's not of his making. Storms are not of God's making. So we're left with this. Go and do likewise. So this gets a little bit tricky because this, this really does get uncomfortable. If the rest of it has been quite comfy, then, then get ready for this bit because this is not. So if I watched Jesus, God, do this incredible miracle of calming the storm, if I simply watch it and admire it, then I'm reduced to simply being a spectator. And go, whoa, God, look at him go. To be honest, Jesus didn't need to do it. It could have been like that. I don't think they have the National Lottery finger anymore, do they? I don't think they do. Do you remember? Could be you. No, anyone? Wow. Oh, yes? Okay, that thing. Look it up. Don't worry about it. Um, it you know, the big finger could have come out of the sky and zapped the lake. Could have done that way. I mean, God could do it how he wants, right? So he could have done it that way. But he didn't. Because we'd have all simply been, and vicariously through the Bible, we'd have all been spectators. But the thing is, God, in the form of Jesus, came down and clothed himself 
in humanity, in our human skin, so that we cannot simply be spectators. Jesus said, I only do what I see the Father doing and only say what I hear the Father saying. There is, he's really getting rid of that excuse that says, I'm just a spectator. Wow, this is a great miracle, isn't it? I heard this one in Sunday school. Isn't it amazing that Jesus spoke to the storm and no, no, no. The point is, God could have done the finger out the sky things at that lake, but he didn't because Jesus did it from within the boat as the son of man, as a human saying, this is what you need to go and do. If I can do this, you can do this. If I've got the authority to do this, you have. I haven't got the authority of God. You have. We have. We have. Jesus makes it absolutely clear that we have the authority to do all the things that he did. So if he can calm storms, we can calm storms. Which is good news for when you're going away camping anywhere. You can do something about this. This is amazing. And you might say, well, I, but the thing is, I've never, I've never really seen that happen. But we have to be we have to be really careful that just because something hasn't worked before, it doesn't mean that it shouldn't be working. So you might have prayed for something and not seen the result you expected, but that doesn't mean that it shouldn't be working. I don't have the right to limit what I'm called to do to only the things I'm good at. Let me say that again. We don't have the right to change what we're called to do to become only the things we're already good at. I firmly believe that we are called to be wave calmers and wind silencers. Why did Jesus model it if not? And I don't know what that looks like for you because I don't know what storms you're in. And you might say, well, I, I don't think I always really understand why I'm in this storm. And we ask that fairly useless question that we often ask to God, why, why? It's okay, we can kind of ask it. And if, but if there's no answer within five seconds, we have to move on. Or we'll get stuck there for years. Why, God? Why me? Why has it happened to me? And pretty much every situation we find ourselves in, we have the authority that we need to be able to come out of that situation, to transform that situation. To put it a different way, if you know anyone in your life who is currently going through some kind of a storm, might be running out of money, they might be having a relational issue, it could, they might be having some kind of sickness or health issue. If you know anyone going through that situation, do you think that it's a total coincidence that you know them? My guess is God has said, there's a storm brewing down there. I'm going to send in one of my, get this the right way around, one of my wave calmers and wind silencers. And that is probably why you're there. God works on many levels. It's probably one of the reasons why you're there. You are there to calm the waves and silence the wind of storms in people's lives that we know. Oh, but Chris, I've prayed this kind of thing before and it hasn't really worked. I'll pray again. I know that feeling. I know that feeling. So we are called from this story, which is a true story, it's not, not made up, it's not fiction, to be wave calmers and wind silencers. Jesus said, you, in the middle of a storm, can be resting. 
Because when you lean into who the Father is and you know who you are, you can stand up in a storm and say, cancer, enough. That is enough from you. Dementia, be gone. That is enough from you. Lack, that is enough from you as well. We speak life and health and abundance and fullness and provision over people's lives. That's what calming waves and wind can look like for us. I don't know about you, it feels like that is a grade eight piece of piano music and I'm only grade one. But in that case, I need to keep sitting at that piano and practicing. Because there are some grade eight storms out there that need better than my Frere Jacques I can offer. Don't know where that came from, sorry. <laughs> anyway, so let's stand to eat and pray. We've slightly overrun, apologies. Thank you, Father, that you invite us to not be spectators of the incredible things that Jesus did, but you invite us to participate. That you're not looking to do things for us so much as you're so often looking to do things through us. And we are so sorry for, well, I'm sorry for where I have stepped back and been a spectator. I've looked at something and thought, oh, it's out of my league. That's impossible. That's too hard. That's too this. That's too that. I'm sorry. God, we want to see the dead raised. We want to see provision where there is lack. We want to see lives transformed. We want to see hope where there is hopelessness and despair. They're all the things we long to see. And we long to see calm where there are storms. And just to extend an invitation to, if there's anyone who's never actually said their yes to Jesus and would like to this morning, just come and find me. As soon as we finish, I'll just stay on the platform for a couple of minutes. Come and find me. I'd love to pray with you. But Father, thank you for the love that you extend to us and that you invite us in. As I heard someone say this week, while I'm still breathing, I might as well be changing the course of history. <laughs> thank you. You invite us into that. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Thanks for listening to our podcast today, and we hope you enjoyed it. For more information, visit ashfordvineyard.org or maybe drop into something if you're nearby. In the meantime, have a great week and know just how loved you are.